Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. You are listening to Be The Change, a podcast of conversations with true visionaries who are creating new paradigms for a healthier planet and society. I am your host, Christine Demick, and my work is in finding real solutions to the biggest problems we face today, climate crisis, capitalism, social injustices, and our failing health. There are amazing humans out there that have answers, and it is my mission to have their voices heard. Together, we can raise consciousness and create a just and equal society. Together, we can be the change. What if you could put on a cape, grab your shield, and go save the world? What would you do? Who would you save? What if I told you that you could live out your superhero dreams right now? Jan Lucanis is a transmedia producer and founder of Real World, the world's first social film studio. His recent project, Justice for Hire, is a platform not just for cosplay, but for finding the hero within. And we could use a few more heroes right now, couldn't we? Join us as we discuss why community collaboration is a vehicle for change and embracing our inner superhero is not just empowering, but it's just the medicine we need right now on our planet. Welcome, Jan. Oh, thank you so much for having me. That's an honor to have you here today. And I love that, just the medicine we need. It gotta, is just the medicine that clip. we need. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, I was thinking about it because, you know, when we first talked about it and I, I got the idea, but as I, you know, researched and dug more into it and, you know, I was talking to my husband about it, like, you know, embracing our superhero is quite powerful. And for some people, it's really transformative, right? I mean, it's a way to maybe give yourself the courage or something to be who you want to be, but may not necessarily be that right now. I don't know. I mean, tell us, how did you come up with this idea? It's my life's work. I mean, while you're talking to me, I have images flashing in my mind. I'm doing my best to like keep the conversation focused, but I want to share so much. Go know? ahead. Go and ahead. So while you're talking, I'm, I'm remembering something that Deepak Chopra said at Comic-Con in 2006. Wow. And this was my first Comic-Con in San Diego. And San Diego Comic-Con is like the legacy Comic-Con of all Comic-Cons. Okay. And... In 06, I was there sitting in the audience with my father in this very small, very small audience in a giant room at Comic-Con with Deepak Chopra on stage and Grant Morrison, who is Sir Grant Morrison, one of the most respected comic book writers in the business and very, very uh, spiritually minded fellow. And they were essentially launching their Virgin Comics with Sir Richard Branson their comic book line for their version brand. And there's, of course, you know, I'd say issues with even that branding because like, you know, to a certain extent, you're like, well, who wants to buy Virgin Comics? <laughs> you know? Right. And to a certain extent, that was how the company was received, unfortunately. But it was a, they put out the best comics in the business. Some of the best comics I've ever seen in my entire life. And these comics were based on, a large segment of them based on the Hindu pantheon and sharing these stories of, gods and goddesses in American culture. And I grew up with Indian comic books. I grew up in a, under an Indian guru and in a family of martial artists. And my father was a comic book writer. So when I say this is 
real world and justice for hire are essentially my life's work, real world in particular, it all stems from that. But the reason I'm mentioning this Deepak Chopra moment is because they were talking about this superhero as an ideal for what humanity will become. And it was really powerful to sit in the audience and at my first Comic-Con and have, you know, I grew up hearing about Deepak Chopra. I had never met him before. I'd never seen him before. And for this to be my first Comic-Con and for them to be essentially talking about story superheroes as a model for how we wish to see ourselves and how that wish is essentially the future. And, and there's a great Kid Cudi line in one, on his first album, and I'm going to misquote the line, but essentially is, if you can't become what you imagine, what is imagination for, essentially? Like, what, like what is imagination? Ah. And this, this idea of story as a tool for where we're going to go directly connects to how I perceive media in general and why I ever wanted to be in media at all was because it's really a a tool to shape ourselves. It's the best communication tool we have for the masses. And there's this divine connection between your eyes and a screen. So story as a model for ourselves is a huge deal in my just personal perspective of what my, my purpose is. And I have to be able to guide myself on my own story. And we're a visual first, video first world right now. And having been trained as a filmmaker since high school, and my father was a comic book business, so the visual storytelling was always a part of my life and martial arts, it just made sense for me to connect these dots and say, well, huh, if we help people tell their stories on with the same reverence that we give to film and TV, then we can do something very special with helping people transform themselves. And so that's really the intention is to, to give people tools that are fun and that they're already using, but not necessarily in a, in a guided way and to help guide them along the growth of their ideal self. There's a bunch of companies that say they want to do that. And I think that's great. And I think all of us need to exist. We're really focused on making movies and shows with real world. And so to use that model and say, okay, well, then what does it mean to make a scene? Well, what does it mean to take a shot? Well, what does it mean to perform within a shot? Well, what does it mean to have a goal as a character in a particular scene? Because it's a particular moment in your personal narrative or your character's narrative or your character arc. So to break all of those things down, which are all part of cinema already, and to essentially say, this is for you to use. That is what we're, we're building. That's what we've already built part of that ecosystem, which is just a gateway into a movie or show to bring your character into it. But that is my, my very long answer. Uh, Deepak Chopra inspired us to launch our first comic book. And that comic book was already based on my, my Justice for Hire short films from, from college and high school. So the, the comic helped me like build out the story world. And then we turned it into our years later into our first show for Real World. <laughs> well, I'm so glad that you gave me a long answer because I find that what you said just so interesting, fascinating, and moving. And looking at, you know, I have a 14 year old son, so I'm not unfamiliar with the comic book universe or superheroes for that matter. And, you know, we go to every single Marvel film. But two things, I guess the first thing I, I want to say is this was 16 years ago, you know, 2006. 
And yet there was always this, it, it appears, this connection of spirituality with the comic genre and also I think superheroes. And I didn't always see that. Obviously, you know, sometimes you just go about this world and you're exposed to everything and you go to the movie and you feel good. And But now I'm understanding more and more of how these ideas came from and how they are a journey for people without people even knowing it. And maybe that's why that people who are, are really spiritually connected are drawn to superheroes and comic books. What do you think? Have you found that? I have. And I'd say that the greatest theatrical experience we've seen as a culture was the Avengers Endgame film. If you look at, there's this, this famous clip that Marvel promotes, et cetera, of when all the heroes unite and Captain America like says Avengers assemble and pulls the Thor's hammer to him. Like that one moment and people freaking out in the theater. And that happened all across the world. Like I was tearing up. People talk about the, um, one of the things about the quote unquote action genre is that people stand up and cheer. That's one of the main components of the action genre. And it's amazing to see how much we want to unite as people, how much we want to have a common goal. And sometimes that common goal is misinterpreted as a common enemy, but it really is a common goal. And how much we all yearn for that so much that when we see it on screen and we see all these different characters that represent so many different aspects of ideal for us, or at least striving toward ideal, and to see all of them come together to solve one problem, to achieve one goal, it just gets all the energy out. And we just want to be there with them. Yeah. So why can't we? Yeah. Yeah. So then, yeah. Right. And so that's justice for hire. So tell us a little bit how it works and let the listeners know and, and how you can become a superhero, but you can also become a villain too, which is something that I want to unpack. Sure. Sure. And so to be clear, this is the, the intention for our studio, oh. the first social film studio to be able to let people get into the story, to let people into the story as their own characters, no matter what the genre Justice for Hire is our first show, and it's an action-based show, but we're going to do this for every genre, and we'll have, you know, we call them worlds, where the company's real world, W-U-R-L-D, it's R-E-E-L-W-U-R-L-D, because you're in it, and we want your world, our worlds, to be populated by us, you know, all the story worlds that we love, and that whether that's, right now we're just doing Justice for Hire, but, you know, hopefully one day we're doing Star Wars, and we're doing... Avengers, you know, like the Marvel Cinematic Universe and really bringing people into these massive stories that we love so that we can interact with our favorite characters, but not interact with them like, oh, you know, you guys are so great and I'm so little, but to look eye to eye. And looking eye to eye is what we've been doing with Justice for Hire as our first show, where I think I started our call before we started the official meeting, the challenge that I was having with a communication with a TikToker. And I believe in the kid. I, I think he's really, really, really talented. And I want to make an introduction to him to one of my advisors at Disney. And my advisor at Disney is a little apprehensive about connecting with the TikToker because they just did a major campaign for major property that a TikToker flaked on them and didn't show up and didn't deliver what was, was agreed upon in the contract. And so when it comes to social media, Hollywood very much looks at 
everyone on there as amateurs and to look people in the eye and to encourage a collaboration that is at a professional level and knowing that these folks have may, may not have touched that level yet. A lot of people just don't want to deal with it. And as an independent filmmaker, one of the things that, and this is not as me as an independent filmmaker, but independent filmmakers deal with reality. They deal with people on a regular basis that have never acted. And you pull in family and friends, you shoot the environment. So you, you learn how to collaborate with anybody so that you can tell the story. And so adapting that mindset to a social media world as a bridge between professional filmmaking and where we are with the entire world, essentially in film school right now. If you, if you look at yeah. all of what's going on in social media, especially with TikTok, it's very similar to Charlie Chaplin. And Charlie Chaplin is like my son at four years old was in love with Charlie Chaplin because anyone can understand what he's doing. Format wise, it's very still watching a video on your phone that mixes text and image and you're watching it on silent. You know, <laughs> you're yeah. scrolling past, you're like, oh, that's funny. That's cool. Yet you're glued to the screen. So if we could look at what Charlie did and so many other filmmakers during that era and say, well, hold on, we can all do that right now because everyone's got a studio in their pocket, which is the phone. So we can do this right now. All we need is the guidance so that we don't repeat the same mistakes that have been made over the years. Because we are we are mature enough as a culture to not have to do that. And so there's so many reasons why when it comes to real world and why we did JFH first. But to look people in the eye and to be able to say, we can do this together is a major component of that. And so when it comes to Justice for Hire and our first show, for me to look people in the eye, I have to be passionate about it. Like I can't just jump on any project. I can but I'd rather not just jump on any project and say, okay, we're going to do this. It's going to be great. <laughs> you know, like the passion really comes from me personally saying, well, I want to tell a story about how I feel about culture and how I feel about culture is that we actually have to stand up like ourselves as a community. I think I mentioned to you when we spoke last week, you know, I got beat up by a family when I was nine years old. Yeah. And I remember I was defending a friend and I saw him getting beat up. I ran in and I come from a martial arts family. So I did my best to stop everything. But instead of that working, it turned and escalated and essentially became like an all out fight with the whole family. Like and the, all parents were, beat, the parents beating on you? No, just brothers and sisters. Oh, okay. And all these adults were around, but no one stopped it. And I remember the look on the adults' faces just standing there and or sitting there in the park and just watching. And I was so devastated by that moment that I stopped martial arts for like six years. Uh, from wow. nine to 15, I, I gained a bunch of weight. I was very depressed. And I didn't unpack that moment for myself for many, many years. But it was I later on realized that we look to others for wisdom, whether it's organization or elders, et cetera. And wisdom isn't just like what you think, <laughs> you know, yeah. wisdom is action, action and selflessness. And there's so many other things, other components of wisdom, but just remembering that I was in a moment where those that could have helped didn't help is, gave me a very particular perspective of society. And I, you know, I came across some real life superheroes in my life. And when I say real life, I mean, actual, like the RLSH community, a very famous real life superhero 
named Phoenix Jones, who was part of a, he's out in Seattle and can be a topic of a lot of controversy. But I was the first artist of uh, Von Dutch's, the clothing brand, uh, their artist in residency program. And for some reason, they had him at Kevin Smith's Mod Castle. <laughs> they, they had an event there and Phoenix Jones was talking and, and we became close enough to have some really good conversations over, over the, uh, a few years. And he told me about his origin story and that origin story of, of a robbery happening with him and his son at a car. Someone's robbing them and, and a fight happening and all these people standing around watching and filming on their phones, but no one's stepping in. And that reminded me of childhood, of getting beat up and no one's stepping in. So the reaction for Phoenix is, I'm going to become a real life superhero. The reaction for me is we need a systemic change so that everybody's a superhero so that we no longer believe that we don't have the power to step in because yeah. we actually all have to, we have to have power and the power is inside of each and every one of us. Yes. So anytime I, I think about something, it's, it's normally system first and then like personal. So I'm like, okay, well, I, I see a big picture. I don't normally see myself. I almost feel that, that you know, I don't have a body and I just yeah. see a big picture. Yeah. And so I'm like, okay, well now I have to get into my actual body and I have to actually do things. <laughs> yeah, to, yeah. Sometimes I have to embody the thing that I want to see in reality. So I'm like, okay, well, what does it take for us to share a, a vision of a world where we're all, all heroes? And that kept on, you know, many iterations of Justice for Hire. I played a character that was a hero for a while. And, and I still do in the series. But it was the, the comic book version and the stuff that I did in college was very, very different than what we're doing now. And for culture to get to a point where we're all united by our cell phones, helped me to re-envision the comic book version, uh, which I would call the brick and mortar version of Justice for Hire, where it was just about a family of martial artists and they, they would get hired to do work and help people and say, well, no, Justice for Hire, that's like Uber for heroes and you can hire a hero or become one and get paid. So tell me, okay, I want to get into a little bit more of how it actually works. How sure. do I hire a superhero and what can I hire them for? Sure. And just as a disclaimer, this is a show. It's entertainment. Yes. The concept is that you know, we're used just like Star Trek that inspired the cell phone and so many other breakthroughs in, our, in science that if we pre-visualize a world that's you know, five minutes in the future, we can make some changes to the world that we, we have. And so you know, five minutes in the future, we call it like near future sci-fi. So the concept of hiring a hero in the story, you can obviously this, the story is fictional, but yeah. in real life, you go to justiceforhire.app and you choose a role. You can become a, a hero, a villain, or a client. And this is how you get access to our app, which is a social network that acts like a cinematic universe. And anything you post on the social network is part of your story. All of the stories interconnect in that one box of the social network, the cinematic universe. I believe that every social network is a cinematic universe, except it's not framed that way. So if you just say, hey, this social network is only about this one show and anything you post can be used in the one show. And even if it's not, it might not use now. It might be used years later because that's how Marvel has shown us. That's how cinematic universes work. Like a character yeah. can walk by in the background and 10 years later, you're like, he yeah. was that guy. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Oh yes. my gosh. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, to be able to, to guide people in their own stories, have them telling their own stories and collaborating with each other. And then as a producer say, okay, you know what? That story that those two folks told 
can tie together with this story that these 10 folks told. And this is where we want to lead our the mega narrative, like the next season. So all this stuff actually works together without us guiding, you know, having too much of a heavy hand because we just gave people tools to and a general story idea to follow. Now we can tie this stuff together in interesting ways. And that's what we've been doing. And again, you just go to justifyhire.app, choose a role as a hero, villain, or a client that hires heroes and villains. And you make a little video of who you are and introduce yourself and you'll find all these little challenges that you can do that'll help you tell your story and all these little missions that you can do that'll help you connect your story to others. Got it. So you just kind of jump in the universe and then you in the background are taking everyone's pieces and also creating a whole collective story, right? So you have your own individual thing, but then it becomes a part, just like you said, with Marvel, where someone just walks behind and then 10 years later, you see them in the Avengers and you're like, wait, what? And that's (laughs) what I love about it because you do, I mean, it's like that. I mean, that's life, right? Exactly. What you do matters in life every day. Yeah. At every moment. And so what you do on the cinematic universe matters at every moment. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's powerful. And then you said something earlier in the conversation about how it's a collective energy, right? That every social media app has its own universe, which I see. I know exactly what you're saying. And it has its own feel. It has its own, we could call it its own vibe, right? Which vibe is energy. It's fascinating. It's just fascinating what you've created and what you've tapped into. And the one thing, Jan, I wanted to like, you know, I was looking through it and I was like, well, who would want to become a villain? Like, I understand doing like the hero part, right? And so it's like tapping into it and it's like giving me a way to be someone who maybe I think I'm not, but gradually growing into the hero, that which is myself. But what about a villain? The, our whole process our whole patent pending process. <laughs> yeah. Our whole process really started when it comes to like the collaborative side of it. I don't want maybe not started, but it was really supercharged by me sitting in any environment and asking people, random people, if they wanted to be in a Marvel movie, if they could. I'm like, hey, if you could be in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, would you want to? And they'd say, Yeah, yeah. And I'd ask all ages. And then I'm like, oh, cool. Like, what would you want to be? Like, it's your character, anything you want. What would you want to be? A lot of folks, a lot of kids, especially said villain and all types of kids. And it's to feel like you're the villain in life in some particular way, or to feel as if the world has done something to you Mm -hmm. and you really want to express it. It's a powerful feeling. If nothing else, it's a powerful feeling and it's a real feeling. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it's something that that if we don't acknowledge, if we only allow people to be heroes, then we're not honoring what it means to view the world through different lenses. Yeah, and you know, good and evil. There's a wonderful quote from my uh, family's teacher: that good and evil are the based on the glasses that we wear. And I think that's so important, especially if you look at the you know just the concept of yin and yang and. Yeah. Uh, how we need both of these energies to be in the world of duality and to have balance mm-hmm. and how one pushes the other. Yeah. And there's another quote of like, what essentially what is the, the enemy except an opportunity for the good person to stand up and to do something, you know, to, to bring that out of the good person. Yeah. And I think that there's progressive, more progressive ways than we've ever seen before in story, honestly, and to address challenges. As a matter of fact, the fourth episode of our 
season zero of Justice for Hire. It's, it's, it's the only episode I'm in. And you know, I was at a point in my life where I didn't want to see the same action. I didn't want to see the same like person causing problem, fight person cause problem to solve problem. I didn't want to see that. Mm-hmm. And Rick Myers, I love Rick. He's the world's foremost authority on martial arts cinema. He's a martial arts action cinema historian. And he's got some great documentaries on Netflix. He's got a great book called Films of Fury. And there's also a doc on that as well on Amazon. And it's fantastic. And he would tell me, he was, he was the first guy that really supported us at Comic-Con. He brought us on in, in 07 to screen our first Justice for Hire short uh, like videos, short films, as the next generation of martial arts action. And he would always criticize, because that's what he's a film critic, what he does. <laughs> he would criticize me and say, Jan, all of your characters have the same attitude. And that will never get us anywhere. And he's a true Tai Chi master guy, you know, like really walks around. He's got a big Santa Claus beard, you know, he really. And that stood with me for years. And I look back at all the stuff I did and, and I kept on doing it. I didn't change. I heard him, but I didn't listen because I didn't understand. And then I realized that all these action heroes that I was playing and that I was watching other people play with alongside me as a group, as an ensemble, we're all coming from the same perspective, which is essentially the general superhero perspective and culture. Up to Iron Man 2008, up till Robert Downey Jr. came. And, you know, I remember the day that I found out uh, Randy Hiller casted him and I, I knew her through one, my first film mentor. And the second uh, I heard Robert Downey Jr., I was like, uh oh, this is going to be amazing. And the vulnerability that he showed as a hero. And even that the end of that first Marvel Iron Man film, him saying, I am Iron Man, to open himself up like that, it changed what a superhero was supposed to be. It, it actually started becoming more about what, where we want to go as humans, is, which is yeah. opening our heart and saying, hey, you know what? I am this and I am dealing with pr- problems too. And all I can do is be transparent about it. And when I shot this episode with a character, another character that in the comic books is one of the main villains. I was like, this is an opportunity to go back to what Rick said and to deal with this in a different way. So he's, he's having an episode outside, uh, a rage episode, and he fights one of our other characters. And then I go up to this character and instead of fighting him, I start talking to him. And we actually have a conversation and I get him to join Justice for Hire in the series. I'm like, no, we can, we can work on this together. We're going through, we can... We can work on this together, you know, like <laughs> we, we can be great together. And, you know, the, the episode ends with all of us coming together as a team. And I felt so good about that rather than, you know, I didn't do any martial arts techniques or anything in the scene. And as a martial artist, I want to see action. I want to see fight. I want to do action. Yeah. But I didn't do it in that scene. And it felt so healing for me personally to change my behavior that someone like Rick noticed years ago, there's not just my behavior, it's, it's the majority of action content, action sure. content. And then when you look back to folks like Jackie Chan, he's never starting the fight. He's always running away from the fight. He's always trying to stop the fight, but he's got some of the greatest action of all time. And his one of his main influences is Charlie Chaplin. Uh, and you look at Charlie and Charlie is, he's showcasing his athletic ability through all of his entire being as a character. Everything he's doing has an aspect of his physicality in it. 
And so I'm like, huh, the action can come through how I deal with the world, which is actually more authentic to how I personally walk around. So justice for hire as a whole for me personally, and when it comes to people wanting to play villains, it really comes down to how can I create a narrative that is encouraging people to solve problems differently, which is totally in alignment with us fictionalizing solutions. We used to call ourselves uh, fictionalizing solutions to real world problems with justice for hire, meaning that this near future sci-fi five minutes in the future idea is that we're just looking at different ways to solve challenges. And so it should not end with you punching somebody for no reason. It shouldn't end like a talented martial artist is not going to get into a fight, ideally. Like your, your talent should be, hey, I've been able to make sure the fight didn't happen because my sensitivity of, to what someone else needs and what the moment needs. And now we're all happy. <laughs> yeah. So you said something, well, first of all, earlier again, you said something that I wrote down because it was so good. That wisdom isn't just thought, it is action. And it's by our movements and how we get involved that that is wisdom. It's not just in the mind, but the, and going back to the the villains and talking about children and how they, you know, I remember when my son was younger and, you know, and they get drawn to the bad guys. And I have to wonder if it's not because we spend so much time with our kids telling them, them who they shouldn't be and, you know, not allowing them to have that anger you know, I wasn't as evolved as you are as a parent. And I think when my son had anger, of which everyone has anger, but it's expressed differently when you're three than versus when you're 33, hopefully, right? And he would lash out and he would hit and he would bite. And then he also didn't have the mental capacity to understand why he was doing it, but it was just a way of him expressing that anger. And so I can see exactly why kids want to play the villains. It's it's like carte blanche. It's carte blanche to express those emotions that parents like me were probably suppressing, you know? And it's like, it's like, again, balance, right? Absolutely. And how can we as storytellers, and this is where this is yeah. where my seat comes in and where a lot of people are going to sit in similar seats with this new ecosystem that we're building with real world, is that as storytellers, we have the opportunity to sit and look at a big picture. And so if we know that that we as a society need healing in certain ways and take them the story models that we are, we're all very aware of, and that, not to say that those are the only story models, but to use things that are similar to people, give them access to it and use that for transformation. And then how can we look at new story models because all these similar story models, all the ones that people are going to feel really comfortable with are normally things that they already see in cinema that they're becoming bored of because a lot of folks are becoming bored of, of movies and TV because of the formulas that were established in the 90s, you know, by Sid Field and then like by standardizing screenwriting and, and creating a, you know, very particular template. And, and to, so to see new story models come out. And also to recognize that there, there's a need for them, that we can actually create new story models by taking aspects of what, what everyone knows and feels comfortable with and offering that to them and say, hey, you know what? Great. Let's do that. But let's change it here a little bit. Let's change it there a little bit. So that instead of... There's this great... I took a screenshot yesterday of Anakin Skywalker, yeah. right? It says, this would have been a better ending. And it's three pictures, Anakin looking to the, the Sith Lord, who's the big bad guy of yeah, the dark yeah. side in Star Wars. 
And he's asking him, have you ever heard of the healing skills of the Jedi? And the Sith Lord looks at him and says, the what now? And then Anakin looks over and says, I thought not. It's a story the Sith would have told, would tell you. And just the concept of even the someone who becomes a main bad guy talking about healing and like mentioning it and starting to introduce that idea to the dark side, like just those little pricks pointing, tapping on, hey, you know what? We need a little bit more of a different energy in one energy field. So we need to start bringing the, every yang has a bit of yin in it and every yin has a bit of yang in it. And so if we start to balance out these energies, we're going to get there as a culture and it's going to start in our stories. So I think being able to say, hey, go and be the villain you want to be, but here's a story model that's going to, instead of fight you for it, not to say there won't be some fighting, because there will be, <laughs> but that the end result doesn't have to be the ultimate destruction of you or of the world, et cetera. As, in fact, Jeff Gomez, who's a dear advisor, who is on the real world board, is the leading mind in the world for transmedia storytelling. He often says that these story models that we currently have are self-terminating. Yeah. And so like the need, there's a definitive need for different types of stories coming out in social media. It's coming out in how people are interacting with each other. It's coming out in the desire to collaborate. And it is most overtly seen in superhero films, especially the Marvel Cinematic Universe, especially in Avengers Endgame. Yeah. When did uh, Endgame come out? When did uh, Thanos get all the stones and, and press it and it was done? I think it was 2018 and 2019. 20, yeah. And now, and look. <laughs> and look at what happened then immediately <laughs> after, right? And I'm that thinking about that because that ending, again, young boys in my household that all went to it and so and devastated, like crying in their seat. And that was it. Which and I thought was a super classy way to end it, honestly. I was like, nice. <laughs> yeah, it was. Nice I know. I mean, I thought it, and it was realistic and I thought it was great because not everything does end up great and not everything ends up in a pretty package. But at the same time, it introduced this thing, which when you were saying how the cinematic universe is connected to the real universe, when we look at the conscious of the, the collective, what happened there was heartbreaking. And we've had a couple of heartbreaking years after that. But then it was also rebuilding and looking at things in a different way. And it was like, okay, this character is gone, but this character, you know, I don't know. I don't know where I'm going. I love the lines you're drawing right now. Yeah. Do you like that though? I love it. Between the the creative, between the fiction and reality, those are important lines to draw. Yeah, but I, I think it is blurred. And I think that justice for hire, and I think, you know, your real world media, it is blurred. It's blurred and kind of taking not power over it, but realizing that and understanding that. I don't know. I think you're onto something. I think it's really powerful. And I also think that, uh, you know, the only movie that my son will sit three hours for is, you know, he's 14 and he's in this whole YouTube TikTok thing. Only thing will be a a Marvel film. And that's it. Mm. You know, like getting him to sit for three hours now is impossible, but that's the way of the nineties. And now people just want, you know, I don't know if that's good or bad. Jen, I don't know. You have a young boy. Do you keep him off the phone? Do you allow him to have it? Or we don't really have a too much of a screen forward experience at home. You know, last night he he played some like VR boxing, and that was like okay. he, like never do that. You know, like he, yeah. we went to a buddy's house, he had it, and and we all worked out and cycled between actual boxing and and VR boxing, and that was great. But in general, 
you know, I do my best to keep his media consumption very focused. And what I mean by that is we'll read comic books together because my father read me comic books when I was a kid to work the, you know, the left and right brain. You're reading and you're looking at pictures, you know? <laughs> like, yeah. And so we do a lot of reading. He's got a lot of activities after school, whether that's art class, he loves drawing or Kung Fu or soccer. And we do homework and, and sometimes we cook together uh, as a family. So it's just, we watched our first movie in a month and a half because we don't watch any, like any TV during the week, but it was this Saturday. It was Sister Act 2. <laughs> and it was very intentional because, you know, we want him to do better in his music class. And so we're like, okay, well, let's watch Sister Act 2 because it's a music film. And again, because the intention here is to, to help condition him because every time we watch something, we're conditioning ourselves. So to help condition him to enjoy music and to see how fun it could be and to see how many different types of people and different types of personas there are that go to music. And Sister Act 2 is just a joyous film, you know, to, like singing to divinity and all this stuff. It was great. So, you know, so if we show him stuff, it's normally uh, he wants to do animation. So sometimes we'll, we'll do stop motion animation at home on our phones and take photos of action figures and make a move. And we'll show him like my neighbor Totoro or, you know, just great animation too. But, but there's not a lot of consumption. I don't, if I put him on the phone for a moment, it's to play a very particular game while we're in an Uber so that he can get the hand-eye coordination. So all the choices are very, very intentional. Okay. And why is that? So that would lead me to think that you think that it's bad. I'm so aware of how intention can get, affects our day. And as yeah. a, as a Tai Chi coach, yeah. you know, I'm like, okay, well, a, a lot of folks in the Tai Chi community, you know, for your listeners that don't know, I coach the U.S. Tai Chi push hands team and, and we have, you know, multiple world titles. A lot of folks in the Tai Chi community might look at what I do look at what I do and what my coach Josh Waits did. And they say it's not Tai Chi. And it's not that it's not Tai Chi. It's that, that there are so many value sets offered by a single system. And to touch that system to say that you know all of it is tunnel vision. So like we have to expand our awareness to recognize that not only, not only are there broad sets of value that can come from one system... But by you deepening your perspective of any one of those sets, it's going to yield so many more experiences that you may just have no idea of, may have never seen before. And it doesn't mean that it's wrong or it doesn't mean that it's not your system. It means that, that there's a, a bridge that you, you need to walk on to go and touch this information. And if that bridge hasn't been built, we need to build it. And so, you know, what I do in Tai Chi, what we're doing with Real World, what we're doing with Justice Fire, it's all exactly the same thing. We're, we're just building bridges based on, we can't guide people through cinema if you don't really look at what it takes to guide all the processes from actors to directors, to writers, to producing, to story development, to even marketing, et cetera. You have to look at all these processes as part of one system and then say, okay, what are the bridges between this so that somebody can just pick up their phone and make something fun? And so if I'm looking at my son, I'm like, okay, well, huh, your entire day right now, you're absorbing so much information. Of course, you should have downtime and you do have downtime to just do what you want in terms of like play with toys or, or draw or whatever you'd like to do. But when we are doing something, let's make it very, very intentional and let's identify the things that you love in your life. Like, I think that's super important. You, you draw a little diagram of like what you really love to do and what you really want to do. And you find out those points and say, hey, okay, cool. Well, let's work toward that together because 
we should have a society of superheroes. And we're not going to get there if people are 35 years old going out to a club and drinking. Like, <laughs> we're not going to get there if they still do the same thing that 17-year-olds do. You know, yeah. like... <laughs> yeah, <you're right>. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like we have to change our behavior and want more out of life. And not just want more of life, but recognize that if we do something deeply now, yeah. then the future of the world is going to be like we've never seen before. And that's yeah. the whole point. Like if we change the, our behaviors yes. now in children, the world will look different. Yes. And I would go on to say that becoming a superhero and using justice for hire is following through and allowing people to find their purpose. Because I think one of the things that is so hard right now and is lacking is that people aren't feeling a purpose. They're feeling they're going a job, a job may or may not be your purpose, but you know, it's like you said, you do everything with intent and most people don't. Most people get up and do what they're told or do what they thought they should be doing. Right. You gave me chills. You just gave me chills. Yeah. Cause I'm always, I, I'm always looking to improve and I, a new character just joined Justice for Hire while we're talking. And the new character's name is the Gilded Piper. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And so I reach out to literally everybody who joins the cast. I message them on the app and I say, welcome. But that welcome is not intentional enough. And so now because of what you just said, I need to make it more about purpose and more about how we can personally, I can personally help them in that character. Yeah. So I'm, like, so I'm gonna thank you. You've just inspired me. You're welcome. <laughs> I'm gonna just my welcome message. No, no doubt. You know, I know that you and I have this connection. So we see things in a very similar way, even though we do totally different things. But yeah, purpose, right, Jan? Purpose. And I think that they're actually finding that purpose through their superhero and they don't even realize it. And I don't know, I think it's very powerful. I'm going to start wrapping it up, but I wanted to, first thing is that you mentioned before that you are a three times uh, Tai Chi World Cup champion. Like, who is your superhero? And does it like have to do with your Tai Chi or is it like completely different? Like if you have, you can pick a Marvel one or you can pick the one you actually created. I have both. I'd love to hear who your Marvel superhero is and who your Justice for Hire superhero is. I'd say that the, my Marvel superhero is heavily influenced by my father's favorite Marvel superhero, which is the Silver Surfer. And he's got the Power Cosmic, which is essentially about divinity and creating infinite creative power. And you know, I've talked about this. I did a podcast with my dad talking about his unreleased Silver Surfer book from when he was the mentee of Jim Shooter, the former editor-in-chief of Marvel. And he, he wrote a whole Silver Surfer book that because of a bunch of red tape, et cetera, never got released. And that was a big part of my childhood. And the book was about the Silver Surfer meeting the Avatar. Oh. And one of the big challenges in the Marvel Universe is that God is something that's not talked about much, but there are many iterations of evil and the devil, et cetera. And so even now, when you see gods mentioned in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, even Odin is saying, well, we're not gods. Well, yeah, you think we're gods, but we're not gods. So they're, they're really doing their best to make sure that they don't insult anybody. But I think that there's going to be a very definitive reframing of what God is in culture worldwide in the coming years. And yeah. And it's already happening in many different ways, but I think it's going to become very, very definitive. And it's going to lead to very clear new systems of optimization for humanity, because when we really recognize what we're talking about and how what we're talking about is actually a shared goal, we're going to start supercharging ourselves. So in that spirit, my character in Justice for Hire that I personally play is just a fictionalized version of me. 
And, you know, instead of being the founder of real world, I'm the founder of Justice for Hire, essentially a vigilante app. <laughs> you know? yeah, yeah. And, you know, I'm a, I'm a Tai Chi teacher that like wanted to make a Tai Chi app and then was struggling with his family at some point and, and like wanted to like make a better life. And then in the middle of having meetings about this Tai Chi app, there was a, a situation where he had to step into to help somebody else and realize that the real app that we need is something that where people step up for each other. And to shift a, a victim culture or a coward culture into a hero's culture. So that is the theme of my character. And, uh, you know, I'm essentially a, you know, kind of Nick Fury-ish. <laughs> yeah. As the other hero's character in Justice for Hire, but I still have my own narrative. So it's fun. And I teach Tai Chi. Even once a week, we have an open Tai Chi for the, we call it Tai Chi to the people on Tuesdays where anybody, whether you're a part of our cast or not, can join. And I like to share that because these are like the little building blocks toward that ecosystem that we're talking about. Oh yeah, I love it. I love it. That's fantastic. I and that makes sense. My character that I'm drawn to, the Marvel character, is I love Doctor Strange, and that's my guy, right? So I guess if I had a character, I'd be the alchemist, and I love alchemy, and I really see in looking at the different things in the world and and combining them and to create that formula for good. It's not a villain. It's for good. So I don't know. I, I can't wait till that next Doctor Strange movie. It's, it's, I can't. I know, right? It's nuts. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, yeah that's I my guy. Like, man, it's going to be awesome. <laughs> that's my guy. What did he walk into? What was the one that I just saw? Spider-Man, right? Yeah. One of the things I wanted to take note of, Jan, is that when I was in college and I was interning, I interned at a design studio in Union Square and one of our clients was Marvel and Stanley. And oh, nice. um, yeah, and we used to go in there and, for people to listen, he didn't have like two dimes to rub together. Like we would constantly, I worked in like invoicing and I'd have to hunt him down to get the invoices paid and was always just going, you know, and then amazing, right? Where Marvel finally went. And I just think it's like anyone out there who also has an idea and like, you know, to, to keep on going. I just, just felt like I needed to say that, you know, he didn't start with Iron Man film or like these big films, you know, obviously it was much later in life for him. Yeah. And I wish he was still here. Right. Yeah. A legacy of 80 years or so. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Incredible legacy. Yeah. That's exactly what it is. Yeah. So the last question, the film industry is, it's not known for being nice and it's very ego and power driven. And you guys are really changing that paradigm. And directly after this question, and we're going to, I'm going to let people know you can invest in real world, which is amazing. But Jen, what keeps you from being the change? I mean, keeps you being the changing and keep going on and doing that, you know, because it is, it's like you're wearing many hats right now. It's exhausting. You have many things to do, but you get up every morning, you keep doing it. Why? Well, first of all, you asked two questions accidentally and that what keeps you from being the chancellor? (laughs) 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 Oh my gosh. What does, what do I need to do now? (laughs) I don't know. Well, that's awesome. (laughs) You go sit quietly. (laughs) That was a mistake, but maybe not. Wow. This is that stuff that I think about every morning. I'm like, what do I need to do? What do I need to remove from my day? What do I need to add to my day? And so that I can, you know, fully step into that because it's a continual process. As I often think of it as a, you know, this is from Hindu texts of essentially removing layers of the onion or washing away the dust on the mirror to see the true self. And those layers of the onion are essentially layers of lust. So like how many layers of lust can I remove 
what, what am I lusting after right now? What feeling, what et cetera, that is not me truly surrendering to purpose. actually get things done. So, okay, um, wait, let's unpack that yeah. just a little bit. So lust to purpose, right? So what would you define lust as? Okay. Lust is essentially, from my perspective, any desire that is not aligned with my purpose. And what is something that's essentially pulling away, distracting me, pulling my energy, et cetera. And I can always tell, and I, I want to be really specific now because I think we need systems that are more specific, that center line awareness, the concept of your center line, I found that if something is truly aligned with my purpose, the voice that I might hear is going to come from that center line. And if it's not truly aligned with that purpose, it might be a little to the left or a little to the right, a little behind, a little in front of, but it won't actually feel from a kinesthetic standpoint in the center of my body. And so I do my best to deepen and deepen and deepen that awareness because I'm like, okay, how deep can I go with my center awareness, my center line awareness? And there's many exercises for this in, in Tai Chi and other modalities as well. But if it wasn't for those modalities, I just wouldn't even be able to, to articulate what I just said. Like, you know, a lot of what I just said in this entire thing, but specifically the physical feeling where it comes from. So I always have to ask myself, do I really want this thing or that thing? Did it really come from there? Am I rushing after this? Is this fear? Fear can be lust. Am I lusting after a sense of comfort on the unknown when I actually know exactly what I'm here to do? <laughs> like, so why don't I just go and do that thing with absolute faith? And it doesn't matter if arrows come through my heart. Like it's okay. Like this is part of the process. That to me is the layers of lust. Anything essentially preventing you from being a superhero. <laughs> but wait, but you find comfort, you see fear as comfort in the unknown. Yeah, absolutely. I definitely think that fear could be a form of comfort. You could be really comfortable in a yeah. state of lack and a state of fear in a state of, of wanting to stay away from other people. And so you're like, oh, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to sit in this because I'm comfortable. And you might be have anxiety, but you might've grown so accustomed to the anxiety that you, you're just falling back into it. And this happens with anything that you might want to get rid of. You're just used to it and you've conditioned yourself. But is the unknown a comfort for you? Do you find unknown comfortable? Because I don't, I, I don't know. I, I really wanted to break this down because sometimes for me, I'm very focused in what I do every day. And then when I step out of that work, right, then I get uncomfortable. And that is fear stepping out of what I, you know, the norm. Does that make sense? So, make sense. and I feel like you should go into the uncomfortable I think there's a, the, you know, we talked earlier about the, the glasses that you wear, Yeah, and, you know, good and evil being based on the glasses you wear. And I think that unknown is either infinite possibility or like fear. It could be a bunch of things for people, Yeah, but just looking at those two, you may be opposite ends of the spectrum or, or just those two points, it can be whatever you want it to be. And I think that's really the power that we're talking about, the power yeah. of changing your perspective that life can be whatever you want it to be. And so what you place on life is going to grow. And so if we recognize that core internal power, then we really have to stay connected to that to differentiate between what we're here to and meant to be, which is the purpose, versus the things that distract us from our purpose. And I'm hoping that, that with, you know, with every day, I'm getting closer and closer to, to embodying that purpose rather than being like, man, I just spent two hours thinking about this thing that I should not have thought about. 
Ah. But who knows? That could be purposeful, right? Oh, well, absolutely. And I yeah. think that one of the challenges in, you know, you and I were both a part of like the, the, the assemblage community, et cetera. And I think one of the challenges that we can get into is that there are many gurus that, that may not talk too deeply about these things because there's a point at which the conversation degrades. Words can't be as dynamic as like, for example, you ask somebody, why did you do this? And there's so many infinite whys. <laughs> like some people are really yeah. clear because they've told themselves a story. But if I, when I really look at, and the reason like I can say this is my life's work is because like, I can't find a single why. Like there's so many whys. And so being the change for me to answer the second part of the question is when you take yourself out of linear thinking and saying, okay, well, like the timeline is this and I'm here and this is why I'm here. And this is, there's value sets in all of that and all of that thinking. But the other side in the world duality is releasing all of that and just staying as aware as possible and saying to yourself, okay, well, I'm going to do this thing because it, I can feel it right here in my center. And, I, and, and that is it. And everything in the world is going to align for me <laughs> because this is where I'm coming from. And so I'm just going to go and follow through with that. And you know, I think that there's, that doesn't mean drop all sense of duty. You know, like if you have a child, don't leave your child. So you can go like, hey, I'm going to go and, and dance <laughs> you know, on the street. Yeah, yeah, My yeah. child, you know, like, I'm not saying that, but I, you know, I'm, I really am getting at just being so aware of oneself and I'm doing my best to, like I said, train every morning, train every night to keep this alignment, even sometimes three times a day to keep this alignment and to make sure that I keep on putting that into consistency between one line between thought, word, and deed. If I think it, say it, do it in every aspect of my life, then how can I be off? And that's not to say that my thoughts can't be upgraded because they always have to be upgraded. But um, as long as I make sure that there's a single line between thought, word, and deed, I I feel like I'm embodying the change that I want to see. That's fantastic. Jan, tell us where we can find you. I mentioned before that we come a part of real world. Like we can be an investor, right? And and like be actually part of this universe that you've created. Tell me, give us all that. Tell me everything you want to say. To, oh, that, yeah. well, thank you. Well, with real world, again, it's R-E-E-L-W-U-R-L-D. And we are the world's first social film studio. And we are doing our first equity crowdfunding campaign on WeFunder. So WeFunder.com slash R-E-E-L-W-U-R-L-D slash real world is where you'll find our campaign. And the whole concept of real world is crowd ownership. Is it about treating our, our ideas with the same reverence that you might treat a movie or show to be able to make movies and shows with the, a community where all of our ideas are taken into account, all of our characters, et cetera. And to essentially build bridges between people and studios so that we can all create together and be profitable together to make money together and to like, there's so much, so many resources going to the larger entities and we need to start spreading those resources out across the world in, in every form of, of business, government, et cetera. Yeah. So yes. this is how we're doing it for Hollywood. We're building our, or should I say the global industry of film and television. And we're just, this is a new lane, new road. The future is inevitable when it comes to making movies and shows collectively. So I'm very proud for us to be, you know, doing what we're doing and, and having patent pending technology that's there's really nothing like it in the world that you can experience also from justiceforhire.app. That's our first show. So realworld.com, you'll learn about it. Uh, wefunder.com slash realworld, you can invest. 
and you'll see all the reasons why you should. And justiceforhire.com is, is where you'll learn about our show and you can access the app from there or directly from justiceforhire.app. And again, that's, you know, anything you post on the social network is part of the show and you, yeah. you are a cast member, you're telling your own story and we pull the content from that social network to actually cut a show, which I'm doing live editing for every day. So, every day. And every, <laughs> every day it's on YouTube? Every day we're putting it on YouTube. Like I'm live editing from Twitch but it all goes into... We actually have a meetup. I think by the time this, this comes out, this episode, we have monthly meetups for our community with Justice for Hire. So you can always feel free to join. This Friday, we're doing one that uh, we're going to screen the first scene from the new season of Justice for Hire to have a conversation as a community of whether or not this new season should be widescreen or vertical. <laughs> oh, all right. All so right. community to decide... I feel like people are really already leaning toward widescreen because they want to feel like they're in a, a grand show and they want to feel like they can yeah. sit on their couch and look at their TV and see themselves on the screen. And that's, so we'll probably end up there, but the community will decide and we're going to make tons of shows like this. And that, again, that's the main reason to invest in, in real world is to know that, you know, we have one show, but we're going to do this for every genre. And if you want to see sci-fi or fantasy or, or comedy or romance or, you know, if you want to see even your, the biggest franchises in the world do what we're doing, this is all part of us building out our studio together so we can serve the studios and networks and help them do what we're already doing. And so that we can make more original content with our community, uh, not just in Justice for Hire, but with other shows around the world. So Amazing. And we can find you on Instagram too, at Justice for Hire and... At Real World TikTok. At Justice for Hire. Uh, same TikTok. All social media is at Real World at Justice for Hire. And I'm at Jan Lucanus, L-U-C-A-N-U-S, J-A-N-L-A-U-C-A-N-U-S. Beautiful. Beautiful. Well, Jan, this, I have to say, thank you so much. This is one of my favorite conversations today. It really Aww. is. I love you. And I appreciate I you, you. And it was a great time. Thank you so that much. That was me waving invisible flags. Right. I see. <laughs> Since we can't, people can't see the video. But again, thank you so much. And thank you for being the change. Oh, man. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed this conversation and are inspired. We grow with supporters and listeners like you. So please share this podcast with your community and follow us on Instagram at bethechange.nyc. And to learn more about our guests and what you can do to be the change, go to our website at www.bethechange.nyc. That's bethechange.nyc. Thank you and be well.